Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. You can follow on the big screen behind us. The text will be up there in just a few moments. What a great day this is. We're kicking off a brand new teaching series this morning, Life. There's an app for that. That's the title. And uh, this weekend's uh, message is titled, Blessed. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. So let me ask you a question. How many here have a cell phone? Show of hands. Okay. I should ask, who does not have a cell phone? Anybody does not have? Come on, get with the program. My goodness, get up with the 21st century. Go ahead and keep your hands up, those that don't have a cell phone. How am I ever going to get a hold of you if I need you? Okay, that's probably pretty smart of you, actually. It probably reduces your stress levels substantially. Um, how many know, show of hands, how many know what an app is? App to your phone, show of hands, show of hands, okay. How many do not know what I'm talking about when I say an app, app for your phone? How do you guys even function? My goodness. Okay, you probably function really well. So uh, life, there's an app for that. There's an app for just about everything ranging from weather, traffic, finding the cheapest fuel. Good luck on that one. And uh, addicting games on your phone, those apps. And then uh, networking tools, shopping apps, ladies, shopping. So there are countless apps are downloaded, but only a few used to their full potential. The book of Ephesians is an app for life. Here's some of the topics we're going to be looking at over the next few months. Getting the most out of life, breaking bad habits, how to have more self-control, making wise decisions, marriage, parenting, winning at work, or just to name a few of the topics. If you're like me, you could use help in every one of those areas. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. This is what's uh, pretty phenomenal, pretty amazing about how the book of Ephesians is laid out. Let me give you a little bit of the background. Is It's laid out, it's six chapters, and it's laid out the way you are to live the Christian life. The first three chapters deal with our wealth in Jesus. The second three, the last three, deal with our walk, how we walk and follow Jesus. The first three are riches, our riches in Christ. Second three... Our responsibility. Why why would it be laid out like that? And why did I say that that's how the Christian life is to be lived? Most people don't know this. Here's a little secret to the Christian life. Most think it's about moralism, about getting your act together, and the preoccupation is about doing. It isn't. It's not about moralism and it's not about doing. It's about what has been done for you that totally transforms how you do life. To the degree you understand what he has done for you is to the degree it begins to change how you do life. Don't ever reverse that. It becomes religion. It's religion. And and Christianity is really about being captivated by the beauty and the glory of what Jesus Christ has done. And it so ravishes your heart. It begins to change how you do life. So that's how it's laid out. It's really phenomenal. In other words, you don't obey him to get his blessing. Oftentimes I hear people say, I'm going to get my act together, I'm going to start obeying God, and then things will start going better in my life. Uh, Don't do it for those reasons. Actually, don't you understand how much he has blessed you already? And in fact, you don't obey him to get his blessings. When you understand his blessings, you will obey him. 
See, you don't, he doesn't love you because you're lovable. He loves you in order to make you lovable. That's the Christian life. And that's the essence of the Christian life. It's, I mean, it's phenomenal. When, when you begin to understand what the Christian life is about, it just, I mean, it rocks your world. There is no other belief system, no other religious system that is like, like the Christian life. Once you begin to understand what God has done for you at great cost to himself, anyone in their right mind will want to love God, obey God, and live their life for God. Nothing will transform you more than his sacrificial love for you. And now here's also an interesting thing about this book, the way it's laid out. So it's laid out in the way that we are to live out our lives. So we'll spend the first uh, number, month or two just looking at the first three chapters, talking about the wealth that we have in Jesus Christ, how blessed we are. And then we'll begin to move into some more of the specifics of how do, how do we act that, how do we work that out into our parenting and in our marriages and, and how to make wise decisions. And we'll do all of that. But, but within the first chapter... We're going to only read verses 1 through 8, but verses 3 through 14 is one long run-on sentence. Have you you ever had conversation with somebody and they just do one long run-on sentence? They're so excited. They're just talking 100 miles an hour. Well, that's almost what you've got here in the first chapter. I mean, Paul is so overwhelmed by the goodness of God that, and in fact, what's interesting here is that no English translation can pull it off because it's magnificent and very complicated. And so here's the point. The point is, as we read it, and you'll kind of get a little bit of a sense of it, when, when, as we read it, when you begin, and this is the point of it, when you begin to understand the blessing of God, not only can you, can you not restrain yourself but nor can you adequately articulate its multifaceted, irresistible attractiveness and life-liberating satisfaction. It makes Donald Trump and Warren Buffett and Bill Gates' wealth combined look like a joke in comparison. I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming. And so that's where we're headed with the study. Let me begin with uh, just praying two of my favorite verses. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 and 2 Corinthians 9, 8, they really define grace for us, and I think that's what we're talking about certainly this morning. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's pray. We'll dive into our text, and then we'll unpack our notes here. Father, we are delighted to be here today. Today we celebrate the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that we, through his poverty, the cross, might become rich. And because of the magnificent and breathtaking person and work of Jesus Christ through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, Father God, you are able to make all grace abound to us so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work. Do that now through the study of your word, we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at this text. Let me read through this. Starting at verse 1, chapter 1, Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, so he's the writer, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, typical introductory greeting, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 3 is the key verse. I want us to read it aloud together. You ready? Sit up in your chair. Let's go. One, two, three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You guys did a good job, but I think you can do better. Let's do it one more time. So that was kind of a practice run that first time. So now let's kind of think about it. Let's do it with a great deal of enthusiasm. Great verse, key verse to our study this morning. Verse 3, 1, 2, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Very good. Now let me continue reading. Even as he goes on to describe some of those spiritual blessings right here, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he, what's that word? Lavished. Oh, I love that word. That's a great word. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. This is the word of the Lord. Three questions. What is every spiritual blessing? That's what he talked about there in verse 3. How do we get every spiritual blessing and how do you know you're living Every spiritual blessing. First question, what is every spiritual blessing? Note the astonishing claim in verse 3. Let's go through this and unpack it a bit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Who has blessed us. Past tense. It's a done deal. He's blessed us in Christ. You're going to see that repeated phrase over and over again. Each verse. With every spiritual blessing. He's using absolute language. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what is he talking about there? He's talking about spiritual versus material. He's not talking about more brains, bucks, brawn, beauty. He's not talking about those those external. He's talking more about internal. He's not talking about temporal. He's talking more about eternal. And this this is a good time to make a point. I think it's important for us to understand that the gospel doesn't promise you better life circumstances. It promises you a better life in spite of your circumstances. That's, that's what the gospel promises. That's what he's talking about here. It's regardless of what goes down in your life, you can live a better life based on what he's saying here. Fullness of life has nothing to do with stuff. People with lots of stuff kill themselves often. People with lots of stuff are empty and lonely often. See, this abundant life, this fullness of life has nothing to do with stuff. Although he does give us stuff. He blesses us with stuff. But that's not the point that he's talking about here, nor that is the point of life. That all comes to us by the grace of God. All the stuff we have are gifts from God and pointers to God. And so we don't want to exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things more than the creator as it says that they did and we naturally typically do as it says in, first, uh, in Romans chapter 1 verse 25. And so let's define this word blessed. So he says blessed. We are blessed. Verse, verse 3, 
It's not what you might think. You know, we use the word a lot. I use it a lot. I always tell people, God bless you. I'm not sure that they really understand what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying when I say, God bless you. It's not, hey, I wish you well. Almost kind of like, good luck. Hope things go well for you. That's not what he's saying when it says that we are blessed. It's this right here. It is to have everything your heart needs and longs for to be totally fulfilled and to experience complete well-being. In fact, if you have your notes in front of you, underline... uh, Those first two words, totally fulfilled, and then underline these next two words, complete well-being. So it is to have everything your heart needs and longs for to be totally fulfilled, complete well-being. Total fulfillment, complete well-being. So when you're saying, God bless you, you're saying, I pray that in God you would be totally fulfilled and and have complete well-being in Him. That's phenomenal. That's a... That's a great statement. That statement carries that much more weight, doesn't it? Or more glory when you're using that kind of statement. That's what he's talking about here. The the blessing, that we are blessed. That blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, past tense, done deal, with every spiritual blessing. And I gave you some verses there you can study on your own as you work through the growing notes this next week. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, 34, 8. You guys familiar with that word, that verse? It's taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is he, total fulfillment, complete well-being, who trust in the Lord. Matthew 5, 1 through 12, the Beatitudes. Blessed is the man that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. One of those, I think it's about three down, but there's a number of those blessed. So, so here's what we're going to do. Let's look at some of how he has blessed us. And there's too many spiritual blessings to enumerate, but here's a few. Here's the first one on your notes, first fill in the blank, chosen. He said that in verse 4. So what is this total fulfillment, being totally fulfilled and complete well-being? It's being chosen. Let me read the verse. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. If you have ever gotten the call been chosen for a prestigious team or club or organization, you know how it feels. It feels pretty good. When I got the call for the fire department, Phoenix Fire, I felt pretty good. It was awesome. But that didn't even come close to when I understood that I was chosen by God, that he chose me. There is no club, no team, <laughs> No organization that comes close to being a part of God's family. Nothing quite like that. So how do I know whether or not I've been chosen? Do you want him? Take a look at your notes. If I want him, it's because he first wanted me. Do you have any kind of slight inclination towards him? He's already wanted you. He's drawing you. That's part of his work. Nobody seeks God. Third chapter of Romans says nobody seeks God. In fact, Jesus even said that no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. So if there's this sense of drawing, there's something in your heart that begins to kind of, hey, I I would like that. I want him. It's because he's working in your life. He's chosen you. He's drawing you to come to know him. Now, here's what's crazy about this. In my early years as a Christian, I thought that there was this dichotomy between My maximum happiness, which everybody wants to be happy. Don't you? Everybody does. Yeah. Everybody show of hands. Anybody? You want to be happy? Yeah. We all want to be happy. Okay. But I thought that there was this distinction between maximum happiness, my pursuit of maximum happiness, and my pursuit of the glory of God. Because we were created by God for God to give glory to God 
for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We typically don't live our lives for his glory. That's what it's saying in Romans 3.23. And so I thought, okay, those are different pursuits. Do I want to be happy or do I want to live for God's glory? And then, it re- then I realized, and as I studied the scripture more, I realized, what? They are one in the same pursuit. Oh my goodness. I'm going to find my maximum happiness by living for his glory because it's out of this relationship. He chose me to have relationship with him. That's why I draw air into my lungs. That's why I'm on this planet. That's why you're here. And if you want him, it's because he wanted you first and he's drawing you into a relationship with him. And nothing will satisfy you more than this relationship with him. You hear me say it quite a bit here. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So you find your maximum happiness in him through this relationship. That's the best way you put him and put his glory on display. So that's what it means. Now think about this. Just this, this alone, if we stopped right there, game over. If you could understand this, if you could understand that if you indeed have his attention, undivided attention, his affection, his affirmation, his acceptance, it will overturn any amount of trauma, loss, failure, defeat, rejection you'll ever face in life. What are you going through? What are you facing? What have you experienced? Didn't make the team? Didn't get the promotion? Didn't get the girl? Didn't whatever? It doesn't matter. If you've got this and you understand you've been chosen in him, game over. See, and I, I don't think we often live in the reality of that though. The God of creation loves me, pursues me. I have a relationship with him. The glory of that, the weight of that outweighs anything else in life. Now, what's the nature of this relationship? Next word, adopted, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Adoption. What does that mean? It's interesting. The Bible refers to God with a lot of different titles, different names, such as, we talked about it a few weeks ago, creator, king, shepherd, judge. Yes, we are to refer to him as all of those, but when Jesus was asked by his disciples how they should pray, how did he teach them to pray? He didn't say, our creator, our judge, our king, which all those are true, but he said what? Our our father, literally our daddy. Now, if you came from a kind of a broken home or an absentee dad or an abusive dad or distant detached dad, you're going to have a problem with that one. It's going to take some time to work through that. But you need to know that your daddy in heaven loves you, adores you, thinks the world of you, and he's perfect in every way. And he wants to redefine that for you. And that nothing will bring healing like that. And that's really what he's talking about here. And he's talking about this this he becomes your father who you have access to 24-7. Now, imagine your father is the president of the United States. Just imagine that for a minute. If anyone tries to get in without an appointment, he stopped. If anyone tries to run towards the president, he's shot. But if you're his little child, You can come in without an appointment. You can run into his arms 24-7, the creator of the universe. You can have a relationship with him. He's your daddy. He's your father. And you're his child. Now, how secure are you? It takes us to the next word. Graced. So how secure am I in that? Verse 6. He said, to the praise of his glorious 
Grace. You guys understand what grace is? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know what grace is. See if they can come up with a good definition of grace real quick. You got to know grace. If you don't know grace, you're not going to understand the Christian life. Okay, what do you guys think? Can you, can you achieve grace? Can you earn grace? No, you can't. It's, un, it's unearned favor. It's unearned favor. That's what grace is. So if you can't earn his love, you can't unearn his love. By the way, that word unearned is not a word, okay? Just, just made that one up, but you guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? So you can't unearn his love. Therefore, you are secure in his love. So you're chosen, you're adopted, that's the nature, so you're his, he's your daddy, you have a relationship with him, you're graced, you can't earn it, and you can't unearn it, and so there, that brings it, unbelievable, you're secure in his love. So let me ask you this, how long before a boss fires an unproductive and insubordinate employee? Probably immediately. How many bosses we have in the house here that you have from time to time you have to deal with people and, okay, there's a few. And so probably immediately. So let me ask you this question. How long before a parent fires an unproductive and insubordinate child? Immediately. You're gone. You're out of this family. We're taking the name back. Now there's been... No, I'm kidding, obviously. No, you don't. You don't because they're your child. Never. Never. Why? Because they're your child. Now there's been a few times my wife and I, we looked at each other and thought, man, it'd be a whole lot easier to make one than to deal with the one that we've got right now. You know, it's kind of like, ugh. A little stressed out, you know, as you're working through that. So, those of you that have kids, sometimes you would like to trade them in for a new model, but you can't, okay? We're going to talk about that in the parenting part of this a little bit later on. But, but no, you never, you don't fire, you don't get rid of your kids because he's your father. He's not going to get rid of you. You're secure in his love. So it is in Christ. You are secure in his love. Think about that just for a moment. If the creator of the universe, if he would rather sacrifice his own son than to lose you, once he gets a hold of you, he will never, ever, ever let go of you. <laughs> you are secure in his love. That's, that's what it means by God's grace. Now, what does he do if I have a relationship with him? What difference will that make in my life? How will it change my life? It's redeemed. That's your next word, redeemed. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Redeemed. What does that mean? It means this. You have been purchased and set free at infinite cost. You have been purchased and set free. It's almost like someone's in slavery. You're enslaved and someone has purchased you and then they set you free. That's the idea of that word. And it's through his blood. Now, some of you are out there and you were invited by friends and maybe you're not a believer and we're glad you're here. You get a chance to hear a little bit of what Christianity is about. If you hang with us, it'll probably really change your whole idea of Christianity uh, as we study the book of Ephesians because it's, it's a mind blower. It's not like any other religion. But uh, you're probably wondering, okay, so what do, what do we need to be? You know, what are we enslaved to and what do we need to be set free from? That sounds a little crazy. And I, because I've heard my Christian friends say, God has set them free and they've never been more free than when they've been fully devoted to Jesus Christ. And I would agree with them. But what are, what are we being set free from? 
Well, the Bible says that we are all slaves to selfishness and ego, and it's because we are alienated from God. And that enslaves us to selfishness and ego, and we are desperately trying to fill the emptiness inside. It's why our world is in such a mess. And there's a couple different ways that we try to fill the emptiness inside. We do it in an irreligious way or kind of in a religious way. I know that sounds crazy, but, but here's the irreligious way. You can understand this one. We try to fill the void through power, through possessions, through positions, climbing the corporate ladder, through the pleasures of life, filling our life up with all sorts of pleasures. And so we try to fill that void up with that. But then there's the religious way. And the religious way is that I'm going to just be a better person. I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to be a good parent, a good father, a good mother, a good spouse. If my kids turn out a certain way, then I'm going to feel really good about myself because I feel like I've really invested my, my time in, in a great way. Now, this is what you need to keep in mind. Everyone, everyone is building their identity on something. Everybody here, you have an identity and you're building your identity on something or someone. Identity apart from God is inherently unstable. It is enslaving. If you have an identity that's outside of God, ultimately that will enslave you. My wife and I, uh, I, I DVR uh, 60 Minutes. I watch probably too many of these news magazine programs and stuff, but I enjoy 60 Minutes. Pretty interesting. But this last week they did an interesting uh, interview and kind of some report, and it was from Kennedy Space Center. And you guys know that we no longer have a space program here. Uh, Obama, our president, just said, ah, we're not going to do that. We're going to turn it over to the private sector. A private corporation, and um, and so it was interesting. They were interviewing the people from the Kennedy Space Center. They had laid off seven thousand people, and and in this uh, Brevard County, this little small town where they would launch the space shuttle. I mean, it has become a ghost town. And this is what I found really interesting in the interview: is that these people were not just uh, sad and had a great deal of grief and sorrow. They were beyond that. They were in despair. And I thought, I thought, didn't you? I, I looked at my wife and I said, didn't they see this coming? Some of them had worked for the space, you know, space center for 20, 30 years. I was thinking, you, you're pretty close to retirement. You're going to have to leave it sooner or later. And didn't you see it coming? And, and it was almost kind of like they, they, these people had all of their eggs in one basket. Somebody had tripped them and they fell and broke all their eggs. No pun intended. But the fact is, is that that's exactly how they responded to this. I'm not trying to be hard on them because I, I've had the same experiences and you have too. Because you see, if you have a good thing and you lose a good thing, it's, it's appropriate to, to have sorrow. To be sad, to grieve. That's how God's wired us up, and that's how you kind of work through that. But when a good thing has become an ultimate thing in, in your life and you lose it, you are in despair. You're devastated. And, th- and that's how they responded to this. They had misplaced their identity. I, I didn't hear anybody say this. It was all like they, their life was over. And I I didn't hear anybody say, hey, you know what? God's bigger than this. Or I'm trusting his loving, wise control for my life. Or, hey, you know, my true treasure is in Christ. So this space, I I appreciated it while it lasted. But God's moving me on. He's got other things for me. Nobody ever said that. Their life was almost like it was over. Despair. Now, this is what we need to 
understand as it relates to this, if you love anything more than God, then that thing you love more than God is your real God that you need to be redeemed from. You are enslaved. All of us tend to do that. I mean, we, anytime we say these kind of things, man, if I could just get married, I know that I'll be happy. We, we attach such, we, we, we make a good thing, marriage, into an ultimate thing. I will have meaning and purpose, and yes, my life will matter. Or we do it with having kids, or how our kids turn out, or, or getting the job, or getting the promotion. Any number of things we do that. But let me explain something to you about idolatry and about those, uh, that misplaced identity is that it is not only unforgiving, but it's unfulfilling. If you never achieve that standard that you have set for yourself, that you're telling you yourself that if I have this, I will be happy. I will be fulfilled. Total fulfillment, complete well-being. It's not going to happen because if you never achieve that, that status, that standard, that whatever it is, it will beat the living daylights out of you your whole life. And even if you do get it, it will never fulfill you. It never will. It will always be something else. Because there is nothing in creation can ever fill you like the creator. It wasn't meant to be that way. So it's a matter of misplaced identity. See, only, only Jesus, when you fail him, he forgives you. When you get him, he fulfills you. Only he can satisfy your deepest needs. That's, that's what he sets us free from. Sets us free from over, overly attaching our hearts to the things of this, of this world. Okay, let's move on. So how do we get every spiritual blessing? There's a series of phrases basically all meaning the same thing. And, this, and the repetition of these phrases shows us the importance of it. Verse 3, in Christ. Verse 4, in him. Verse 5, through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, in the beloved. Verse 7, in him, through his blood. What's up with all the blood? Why the blood? Why that? Well, John Piper has an interesting statement that kind of helps us summarize it. He puts it like this. The wisdom of God devised a way for the love of God to deliver sinners from the wrath of God while not compromising the righteousness of God. In essence, he's saying that in the cross, you have the collision of both uh, the righteousness and the justice of God with the mercy and forgiveness of God. That he placed, and this is what's interesting about, this is a phenomenal thing about the Christian life, is that Jesus took all of your sin on him, and he gave you his righteousness. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And then he gives us his, his accolades, his accomplishments, and he puts them in our account so we stand before God completely righteous. <laughs> That's unheard of. That's amazing. You see, it goes back to what I said before, that all the other major religions of our world today are all about doing. You've got to measure up. But in Christianity, it's not about measuring up. Jesus measured up for us. He did it for us, so it's focused on what he has done, past tense, and it transforms what you do and how you live out your life. It's amazing. Totally amazing. So, next point on your notes. To become a Christian means that everything that Jesus has is mine. See, that's, that's why when we do water baptism, if you've, if you've put your faith in Jesus, the next obvious thing you want to do is, is to make that public. It's a demonstration, dramatization, um, declaration of your faith in Jesus. It's, it's identifying with the substitutionary 
Uh, atonement is, is the big theological word, but his substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection, he did that for you. You're identifying with that, and you're taking the wealth of heaven. And so when, Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees you as Jesus. You are my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. It's based on Jesus' performance. And so that's why water baptism is so it's so important, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, those that are in Christ have become a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. So, so if you are poor and marry someone who is rich, and they're rich through their brawn and brains, and you have nothing, and the person you are marrying has everything, That wealth is now yours through legal union. It is legally yours, though you didn't earn any of it at all. Some of you that are single are probably saying right now, where can I find me one of those? And um, and, uh, that's that's in another series of teachings that we'll talk about that. But... uh, And so it is with Jesus when you put your faith in him. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, think about that. You show me another belief system on this planet Earth that that says that. It doesn't. There's none others. There's not a, a more amazing look of God's grace. Nothing more stunning. So this is an immediate status change that takes a lifetime to fully embrace. And I can typically tell when someone's beginning to really understand this because if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? And then you responded by saying, of course I am. I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray. I put put money in the box. Immediately I'd say, you probably really don't understand this. It's not based on what you do. Because you could do all that and still not be a, a believer. Or if you were to respond by saying like this, I'm trying. It's not based on your trying. It's, it's an immediate status change. Either you are or you're not. Either you have his blessings or you don't. It's kind of like being pregnant, I guess. Either you're pregnant or you're not. Or kind of like being married. Either you're married or you're not. Either you have the status change, and it happens the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Immediate status change. Oh, my goodness. It is amazing. That's why he can't even articulate it in the first chapter. He's just running off and, oh, look at this. Check this out. Look what he's done. This is, this is beyond belief. So it's this immediate status change that takes a lifetime to fully embrace. Though we, here's the next fill in the blanks. Though we have every spiritual blessing objectively, we don't subjectively. Otherwise, we would be perfectly content, courageous, and compassionate. Objectively, subjectively. You guys know what I'm talking about when I say objectivity and subjectivity? Anybody? Anybody not know what I'm talking about there? Okay. Objectivity means, means this. It's factual. It's a fact. It's a fact that he's blessed you. Past tense. The Christian faith is historical, evidential, factual. He died for you. He loves you. Subjectivity. So you can know that. It can be intellectually coherent. But subjectivity is where it becomes existentially compelling. It goes from your head to your heart and it begins to move you and it begins to transform you. That's why I said, otherwise we would be perfectly content, courageous, and compassionate. So here's the deal. We have everything we need already in us through Christ to live the kind of life we all dream about. It's all right there. That's what he's saying. 
And this teaching series will help us to unpack that and help us to drive it deeper into our hearts. So number, let's go to look at the third question. How do you know you're living every spiritual blessing? Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. My wife and I went to hike Thunderbird Park. We hadn't been there for a while. We've been out riding our bike. And so we went to Thunderbird Park to hike yesterday. And everybody and their mother, brother, and sister, they were over there. And we could not find a parking spot and so we said, ah, forget it, let's go to Starbucks. And uh, <laughs> so we went to Starbucks and hung out there and uh, had more fun, quite, quite frankly. Uh, my wife and I, our favorites are these uh, maple oat pecan scones. And those are good. Those are yummy. And so we sat there and we ate. The, I had mine. She had hers. And... Uh, Chased it with a pike place, and it was good. And so we were kind of praising, praising God, enjoying that. Praise is, is not only evidence, but also the completion of your enjoyment of something. We praise. We all praise. We all do that. What he's saying here, when you understand this and you're living in the reality of it, he says this, to the praise of his glorious grace. And by the way, that phrase will come up again in verse 12, to the praise of his glory, and then in verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Three different times for emphasis. Why? Because when you're living in the reality of all that he's done for you, you can't help but want to overflow with praise to him. That's just the way that you enjoy it and savor it. Next point in your notes, belief is not just agreement with facts in the head, but a ferocious appetite for God. A ferocious appetite for God that captivates your heart. You praise him, you adore him, as your heart is more and more smitten by the person and the work of of Jesus Christ. Next point in your notes, this is not only the way you know you're living every spiritual blessing, but also the way you work them into your life is through worship. Let me end with a story And so this is kind of the basis of why we would praise his glorious grace and how he has given to us all of these spiritual blessings. There's not a more uh, powerful story plot line than someone giving his life to free others. A lot of movies out there. I was thinking of some of my favorite movies such as Braveheart and Gladiator. So it's about someone giving their life, freeing others. Even the movie Gran Torino was about that. Even the latest uh, Sherlock Holmes was a movie about that. Isn't that interesting? And here's a true story, January 1982. I was 25 years old. I remember watching this on the news. Air Florida Flight 90 taking off from Washington National Airport, hit the 14th Street Bridge, going into the icy Potomac River. When the rescue helicopter showed up, only the tail of the plane was showing. And there was one guy who had survived the crash, and rather than looking out for his own own interest, began to assist others onto the rescue helicopter rope. So as they dropped the rescue helicopter rope, and he's in this icy water, instead of grabbing a hold of the rope, he was assisting others. And he did that for one person, and then he did it for a second person, then he did that for the third person, and then he did it for a fourth person, and then he did it for five people. And when the rope came back over, he never came back up. He gave his life for the only survivors of that flight. There were five out of 78 people who, who were killed in that crash. His name, Arlen Williams. Phenomenal story. If someone rescued you from terrible harm at great cost to himself, if you were one of the family members here that were rescued, or if you were one of the, those that were rescued here, 
you wouldn't have to tell that person, now don't forget to tell his family, thank you for what he did for you. I mean, that would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be crazy to even think that you'd have to do that? And you wouldn't. Because praise would not be forced, it would flow. It would flow, and so it is with our Savior and what he did for us. To the degree you see and are seized by the fact that he, Jesus, rescued you from terrible harm at great cost to himself is to the degree you will live and die for him with unspeakable and glorious joy. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you've never made a confession of faith in Jesus, to do that this morning and maybe even to renew that if you are here and you've, you've done that, but you need to renew that commitment. You might say, well, how do I do that? I want that blessing and I want to know this God and maybe now I'm beginning to understand a little more clearly of what that is. So how do I do that? Well, you acknowledge the fact that your sin separates you from God. You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. So you got A, acknowledge, B, believe, C, confess him as Lord and Savior. You do that between you and God in your heart, a little transaction. If you'll just be honest with God, open with him, he'll be open and honest with you. He'll be real with you. And immediately when you make that confession of faith to him, there's an immediate status change that takes place. So God, I pray right now, those that need to make this decision for time and for eternity, I pray that they would do that right now, just between you and them. And those of us that need to recommit our lives, God, we do that this morning. We acknowledge our sin. We believe you died on the cross for all of our sins to give us this fullness of life. And we confess you as our Lord and Savior. We want to live our lives for you. Thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for setting us free. So with your heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you're saying, yeah, that's what I, I've made a confession of faith for the first time. And so I just want to make that known just by show of hands real quick, real quick. Show of hands. Anybody here? Yep. Yep. Anybody? Anybody else? First time you've ever done it. Anyone else? Anyone else? How many here this morning have renewed that commitment to Christ? Show of hands, show of hands. Yep, 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 yep. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for those that have raised their hand, making a confession of faith in you. We thank you for your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Make this song the prayer of your heart. So here's the key verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. May we live in the reality of that this next week for his glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you.